invite um, Edmund, who's going to be coming and sharing a word with us. Let's give him a warm welcome as he comes. Hello, everyone. <laughs> you all seem excited. That worship was tremendous, wasn't it? Amen. If we can get this open. Right, today I am going to be sharing about... I thought I was more organized than this. I'm going to be sharing about being awakened or being revived to be a soul winner again. To be a soul winner. Does anyone know what it means to be a soul winner? Or should I, I'll put it this way, because it seems like an old school phrase, soul winner. Maybe most of our younger believers haven't heard the term before, being a soul winner. Simply means to be one who witnesses and shares the gospel, as we're told to do in Matthew 28. So today, I want to encourage us. It's one of those topics, there's a danger you could really switch off. So could I ask you, if you're sitting next to you, well, you are sitting next to someone, gentle nudge, say, don't switch off. Don't switch off. I believe God is calling us back to be a church of soul winners, a church of soul winners. Soul winning is not confined to the evangelists or to those who are ministers in church or those who simply just love speaking to people. We are all mandated to speak and share the gospel. To start us off, I would like to share the lives, or look very briefly into the lives of three men, well, their lives and their works, very briefly. Um, these are men whom God has used throughout the ages, well, I say throughout the ages, I think from the early 19th century to present, and God has used them in awesome ways to just reach the lost. And the reason I'm, I'm doing this is I feel it's good to maybe highlight what is possible if your heart is yielded and you are willing to be obedient to, to the Great Commission. Now, the first one I think we heard about two, two uh, weeks ago uh, is Billy Graham. I think that there's no one in the world who doesn't really know who Billy Graham is. And he's a man God has used immensely to reach countless millions uh, as far as the gospel is concerned. I'll look very briefly at his biography. I'll say, please don't switch off. It might be boring. Well, it shouldn't be boring because it's exciting what God can do if we're yielded, amen. Billy Graham is said to be one of the most influential Christians of the 20, sorry, influential leaders, I should say, of the 20th century. As of 2008, his lifetime, well, estimated lifetime audience, including via radio and TV, wait for it, more than 2.2 billion people have heard him. 2.2 billion, that's a third of our world's population. I think that's phenomenal. He's said to have preached the gospel to more people in person, so not over the radio or TV, in person than anyone else in the history of Christianity. I'll let that one sink in for a moment. More than anyone in the history of Christianity, he's spoken to people in person. So crusades and other means, maybe churches where he's been invited to minister. And he has preached to live audiences of 210 million, 210 million in over 185 countries. That is truly amazing. And God has used him to reach and convert over 3.2 million people, 3.2 million people. 
The next person I would like to mention is the uh, German evangelist, Reinhard Bonnke. I think we all, well, most of us have heard of him and we know him. The man is just about fire. And he's described as the evangelist to Africa, uh, where he's been, uh, he's been an evangelist and missionary to Africa since 1967. His last crusade in Lagos, Nigeria, uh, a couple years ago, it drew an attendance of six million people over a few days. And it's said that over half of those people were saved. Over half of them were saved. Now this one is mind-boggling as far as I'm concerned. He has led, those he's led to Christ are overseen through his crusades. Does anyone, would anyone care to hazard a guess? I'll take your silences, no. Over 78 million, 78 million, one man in his obedience to God, 78 million. If you log onto his website, their website, CFAN, uh, Christ for All Nations, it says um, over 78 million recorded cards, you know, those who've actually put their names down, have said the sinner's prayer and given their hearts to Jesus, over 78 million. I think that's amazing. Now, the other person, the last person I'll just like to speak about very briefly is Smith Wigglesworth. Has anyone heard of him before? Now, his, his was just, wow. The man's life is just full of God's power. He was just a man's soul. He was, he's described as um, an apostle of faith because the man moved in such amazing faith. On one occasion, it said that he spoke to a man who had no legs, and he said to him, go next day and purchase shoes. The man has no legs whatsoever. The man reluctantly obeyed the next day. When he went and he put his stump, one stump into his shoes, immediately leg and foot grew on both of them. On another occasion, he'd raised so, so many people from the dead as well. On another occasion, his wife, whom he cherished and loved so much, she died. And he actually spoke, he, he shared and he, sorry, he prayed and he raised her from the dead. She woke up and said, it's my time, the Lord wants me. It's my time, the Lord wants me. She lays back down and falls asleep again. She dies. I'm literally trembling when I'm just speaking about these people because I know it's not them. It's what God can do if we say yes to him, if we open our hearts and say yes to him. But for me, the most important statistic for him, as far as we're concerned today, is this, that God's power was so evident and powerful, and God's presence was so powerful in his life, that most times in his presence, Smith Wigglesworth, in his presence, sinners were convicted uh, to repentance without him even saying a word to them. Can you imagine that? Just think about it for a moment. As you head into your workplace, your power, the God's power is so on your life, you don't have to say a word, and people begin to weep. People just start weeping, because the power of God is doing the work. Frankly, I think that's the easiest, easier option. But of course, there is a price he paid. He's paid the price in secret place, and he knew God, he pursued God, and he followed hard after God. But I think that is just amazing. Now, it is, I think, with good reason, these people, we focus upon them, because they are oftentimes at the forefront, and God is using them amazingly. But what we fail to understand at times, or what is not said, most of the times is uh, those people who are actually instrumental in bringing them to salvation. 
because obviously they didn't simply just get up and get saved. Someone spoke to them, ministered to them. As far as Billy Graham's concerned, it's a man called Mordecai Ham. He was uh, a traveling evangelist, and he led Billy Graham to Christ when Billy Graham was 16 um, at the time. Uh, as far as Reinhard Bonnke is concerned, it's his mother. She was the most instrumental person in his life. She spoke to him, I think he was age nine. Um, he'd done something wrong, I think he'd stolen from her. So rather than punishing him, she spoke to him about Jesus, about his sin, and he gave his life to Jesus. He was saved. And then for, in the case of Smith Wigglesworth, it was his grandmom, Bella. She lived across the road from them, and it's said that oftentimes she would take him and the siblings to church. On one occasion, age eight, he gave his life to Jesus. These three people were instrumental in bringing these amazing men of God to faith. Now, think about it this way. On that day, the heavenly roll call, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive what we've done or to receive our rewards, rightly so, these three men I've mentioned will be rewarded for their faithfulness, for what they've done. But do you know what? The three who led them to Christ will also be right there next to them, and they too will receive the same reward. The very same reward will be meted out to them. Let's have a look very briefly at um, Matthew 25. It's a bit of a long read, but I'll, I'll try to be quick. I'll read from 14 to 23. This is the parable of the, of the, uh, the talents. Right, and it says, again, it will be like a man, speaking of the kingdom of God, it will be like a man on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on a journey. The man who had received five talents went at once and he put his money to, to work and, and gained five more talents. So also with the same with the man who gained two, ta two talents. He went and put it to work and gained two talents more. There was one person who was unfaithful, who didn't use the talents God was given, um, the, the master gave him. Basically, when the master came back, he said to them, obviously he produced, they eventually had to give an account of what they'd done. Do you know what? What this, this, pa this passage is showing us is that what would be rewarded on that day is our faithfulness. It is how faithful were we to being a witness, how faithful were we to using what we've been given. One thing I think we should notice with this passage or this parable is this. Both of them, those who gained five and two more, were equally rewarded and they were equally commended. The master said to them, who represents the Lord, said to them, well done, thou good and faithful servant and also that you will be um, put in charge of more things. It's important to note that the issue wasn't how much they'd produce, it wasn't how much work they'd done. If that, if that was the case, then he who gained five more would have been rewarded more than he would gain two. It wasn't the case. It's about how, it was about the fact that they were faithful. And these three people I mentioned, Mordecai, um, Bella, and Meta, 
they will all be rewarded equally, just as faithful. They will be considered just as faithful as the Billy Grahams or, or the Reinhard Bonkeys. They will be rewarded equally as well. And that goes for us as well. If we simply witness to one person, just a single person, and that person gets saved and is able to then replicate that and speak to someone else, our, we will also be on that day rewarded for our faithfulness to the Lord. We all have, I would say, um, a valuable contribution to make to the Great Commission. You know, it's been given to the church, but we are the church. We all have got to play our part in reaching the lost. As I said at, at the outset, please, can you very quickly just nudge your neighbor again? Nudge, because it's getting a bit quiet in here, and I really don't want people to switch off. It's very important that the Lord is calling us back to soul winning, being thoughtful and careful about those who don't know the Lord. You know, when you, when you witness to someone, or yeah, when you witness to them, when you just sow a seed, or even you lead them to the Lord, there is a, a ripple effect. There is a ripple effect, because they themselves, that's why Jesus was focusing in, in Matthew 28, when he said, go into all the world. He didn't say make converts, he said make disciples, because disciples are the ones who will be careful to do what we've been told to do we will be careful to replicate ourselves in others by witnessing to them. So there is a ripple effect, and we see this in the account of Jesus and uh, the Samaritan woman. I won't turn to it because of time, but it's in John 4. When uh, Jesus has spoken to the Samaritan woman at the well, she'd gotten saved, and she went and spoke to her townspeople, and it says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. You don't know what your testimony could do to someone or for someone. You don't know how many multiple people we could actually reach by just being faithful to witness them to that one person. And oftentimes we may never see them again because it might be that we've handed out a tract or we've spoken to them maybe in Deptford or wherever we go for outreach. We might not see them again. But on that day, you will be pleasantly surprised when the Lord says to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because look, these are all the people that your one faithfulness or act of obedience have caused to come to faith. I wanted to look at the, just a few things, what the scripture says about soul winning. Time good? It's gone so much quicker than I thought it would be. Okay. Just a few things that are important about soul winning, the attitude of a soul winner. What should be our attitude? 2 Timothy 4.2 says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instructions. And First Peter 3.15 says, but in your heart, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. These two passages tell me that one of the attitudes of a believer who is a disciple and looking to be a soul winner is that we are prepared, we are ready, and we are willing on all occasions. It doesn't matter how inconvenient it might be. We are willing to speak to people and to articulate why and what we believe. The next attitude of a believer or someone who is looking to be a soul winner is one of urgency. We see this in John 4:35, where Jesus is just speaking about those who says that you have a saying that there's a harvest coming, but it's in four months' time. He's saying, no, don't say it's four months' time. You know, lift up your eyes, the fields are ripe. We are, it's ready for the picking. So he speaks of urgency, recognizing how late the hour is and making the most of every opportunity. The next one is, 
remember, I'm looking at the attitudes of a soul winner, is we've got to be adaptable. We have got to be adaptable. 1 Corinthians 6, sorry, 9 from 19 says, this is Paul speaking, though I am free and I belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though myself I'm not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I myself am free, I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not under the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all means possible, I might save some. I might save some. If we love the lost, if we care for the lost, these passages are saying to us, we've got to be flexible. Now, one thing is not advocating is that we should sin. It's not saying when in Rome, become like Romans, not at all. But it is saying that we have a unique opportunity to be witnesses to, and we have got to be adaptable. We have got to be adaptable. I'm out of time, sadly. But the point the Lord is trying to drive home today is this. We as a church, we have a responsibility to be witnesses. We have a unique opportunity where we've been placed here in this community to be witnesses to the Lord. I think it's important that I finish off with this. There are two passages I'm going to read I think are quite important as far as how we should respond to the Great Commission. Ezekiel 33, 8 says, When I say to the wicked, you wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not speak out to dissuade them from their wicked ways, that wicked person will die in their sin, but I will hold you accountable for their blood. You might think that's in the Old Testament. It was only applying to the prophets. Look what Paul says. This is when he'd spoken to the Ephesians. He'd preached to them in Acts 20, 26. He concluded by saying, Therefore, I declare to you today, I am innocent of your blood. I am innocent of the blood of any of you. There is a responsibility to us that we have as a church, as believers, because when we stand before Jesus that day, it'll be us individually before him. And I'm speaking to myself as well. I know I always have opportunities at my workplace, especially to be a witness. And I pray that God will minister to each and every one of us to rise up and awaken to this responsibility to be soul winners, soul winners, soul winners. Amen. Amen.